Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great tasting, all natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to symbionica.com. C Y M B I O. TIKA.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, what's the story, Morning Glory? What's the word, Hummingbird? I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Polkabon. And I'm Joe McCormick. And today... Yes, Joe. We're going to talk about 5G. 5G? It's 1G more. It is 1G more than something. Oh, it probably would be 4G. Yeah, Uh, yeah, you know... I remember back in the old days of when I was first getting into cell phones. Okay. And you know, getting into them. Like, like yeah. I was like getting into baseball cards or something. Sure. <laughs> back when I think I had my first cell phone, I remember hearing about 3G. Yeah. And and it, it was the, the heyday of 3G when 3G was a great thing, and I had no idea what that meant. Well, you were not alone, Joe. Uh, but... Recently, I saw an interesting – this was yet another topic I came across uh, because of something I saw in 
Alexis Madrigal's awesome email, uh, his real future email newsletter, which if you're not subscribed to that, you should. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, but it's about 5G. Oh, okay. No, no, not the, not the newsletter, uh, the, the topic that we want to talk about today. Right, right. So we have a lot of ground to cover before we can get to 5G, right? Uh, for 4G's worth of material, at least. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Okay. So, uh, so, so all of this G business, um, yeah. ha- has to do, well, okay. So, so G, G stands for generation. Let's get that out there. Right. At the top, and uh, and and what generation of of stuff we're talking about has to do with, at its base level, how radio frequencies are lotted for broadcast and communication. Yeah. All right, because um because that is how your cell phone works. It it's, transmits data back and forth to cellular towers via radio waves. As um, does a lot of other stuff. Uh, right, and and so bits of the radio spectrum are cordoned off for all of these different uses mm-hmm. for for television and for flight navigation and for mobile data and for local data within your house and and et cetera and et cetera. Uh, and of course, when organizations and governments started allocating these frequencies, no one could have predicted the crush of mobile data. Uh, you know, the, the demand or the supply. Mm-hmm. And no one could have predicted the speed with which technology would be developed to attempt to meet that demand. It, it's all been really pretty haphazard. Right. So we, this is going to make it even weirder when we're trying to predict what the next generation is going to look like. But there is something maybe interesting to say about it. But I think before we get there, we need to do a sort of brief history of the G's in plain right. English. And, and Lauren, to your point, I mean, keep in mind, like this, this entire technology is just over a century old. I mean, from the point of using radio waves. Radio, we mean, yeah. 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 So, yeah, not, not cellular phones. That's much younger, but the radio in general, we're, we've been using that for a little more than a hundred years. And obviously when it was first being used, no, there were no regulations because it hadn't been a thing before, right? Yeah. Everyone was just like, wee. So the regulations that came in place, they were developed in different parts of the world. So they're the the uh, allocations you will find in the United States are not necessarily the same as you would find in Europe, uh, which may not be the same as you would find in other parts of the world. So that also makes things a little more complicated because, uh, you know, if the whole world were working on one standard, this story would probably be a lot easier. But that's not the way things turned out. So let's start with the first generation the original series, the Captain Kirk of the the cellular <laughs> world. Um, so that first generation was uh, an analog cellular system, not digital. This so, is this is one G. One G. Yeah. They probably didn't call it that at the time. No, no. It's <laughs> like it's like you wouldn't say first annual. That's that's not. That's just dumb. No, oh, people do say that. Well, they shouldn't. Anyway, the uh, <laughs> the the unless they're of course talking about the second time they've held the event, that could be the first annual one. At any rate, so one uh, G stood for uh, technologies including NMT, CNETs, AMPS, and TACS or AMPS and TACS, which all began in the 1980s. They had very limited bandwidth, so they really were only suitable for voice transmission. You did get a few. Um, you know, radio modem type things, but they were extremely limited in what they could do. So this was really primarily for voice transmission, and that was it. Uh, these would be the old cell- cellular phones that you would remember if you're old enough with a, the big brick cellular phones, the giant ones with the huge antenna. Yeah. Um, 
That's that's this era we're talking about. Then you get to 2G. This is when we start moving into the 1990s. And this is where the two really big uh, competing technologies came out of, GSM and CDMA. Uh, specifically, CDMA1. Uh, there was also D-AMPs at this time, but this is when we get into the first generation of digital cellular systems. So it's the second generation of cell systems overall, but the first generation of digital systems. Okay, you're saying a lot of acronyms. We okay. need to, what are what are all these about? <laughs> so tell g- me about AMPs and GSM. <laughs> I'll, I'll at least <laughs> tell you. I'll tell you about GSM and CDMA because those are the two really important ones. Okay. okay. Uh, GSM stands for Global System for Mobiles, and CDMA stands for Code Division Multiple Access. Both of these are technologies that allow for multiple access to a tower to allow for transmission of radio signals. Uh, very important, very basic uh, technology that allows cell phones to work. Obviously, for a cell phone to work, you need to be able to ha- access a tower so that you can send your transmission to the tower to go onto the network and then receive information back from the network. And you need a methodology for handshakes. That's the time where you are going between one tower and another. Like you're, tra- you're, you're starting to leave one tower's transmission area while you're entering another one, and there's a handshake. Hi, here I am. Yeah, that allows that to continue without any interruption. So that way, if Lauren and I are talking on a cell phone and she's driving uh, and she goes past one tra- tower to another, there's not an interruption in the conversation. So... Both of these technologies could do that. They were both the basics for uh, digital cell phones. Uh, However, they're competing technologies. GSM phones won't work on a CDMA system and vice versa. Uh, You can get world phones. Like if you have a CDMA phone, you can get a world phone where it also has a GSM chip in it, but it'll still primarily work on a CDMA network. Now, why the reason why I call it world phones is that most of the world, the overwhelming population of the world relies on GSM. The United States is one of the few places that also has CDMA. So we have two major carriers that use uh, GSM. That would be AT&T and T-Mobile. And then we have two major carriers, maybe three if you include uh, uh, some of the other slightly smaller but growing ones, but two major ones in Verizon and Sprint that use CDMA technology. And This is a problem, obviously, because it means that if you have a CDMA phone, you are more limited in where you can take that phone and actually use it. Uh, Unless, again, you have a world phone. Most people end up either having a travel phone where it's a GSM GSM phone just for travel or, you know, you can uh, invest in a world phone. And maybe one day this will become moot. But for now, it's still a thing. So the reason why most of the world uses GSM instead of CDMA is that in 1987, European governments mandated it. They said, you have to use GSM. And uh, they were specifically looking at that because they considered it an industry consortium that had produced the GSM standard. In other words, it was a partnership among several different companies. No one company laid claim to ownership of it. Uh, that was not true with CDMA, which was you know, kind of a Qualcomm thing. So... Uh, so they thought GSM better than this privately owned standard. Uh, the United States, however, looked at it as saying, hey, CDMA is allowing for faster data and voice transmission rates, clearer phone calls, you know, that a better experience earlier on. And that's why in the United States, you had some carriers 
pushing CDMA. Now, GSM caught up, but it took some time. So at first, CDMA was in the lead, and then the two were more or less comparable. Um, now, if you have a GSM phone, it's very easy to switch from one network to another. So if I have an AT&T phone and I want to switch to T-Mobile, it's very easy to do. I go to T-Mobile, I get a new SIM card. Or, uh, and I just pop it into my, my phone and it should work fine. And the other nice thing is if I want to switch phones within the same network, it's easy. So let's say I've got, uh, my Nexus 4 on T-Mobile and I want to upgrade to a Nexus 6. Then I can get the new phone, pop the SIM card into my new phone and, and it works right out of the box. Like it's, it's perfect. I don't have to do anything else to it. That is, of course, assuming that the SIM card is the same size for the two phones because Recently, we've received a lot of new types of SIM card technology where they've been getting smaller and smaller. So sometimes you still have to go to a phone like carrier store in order to get a, a new size. Or if you have a very steady hand, you can cut one down yourself. <laughs> I didn't trust myself, so I went to the store to get one. <laughs> so um, uh, the other thing about early GSM and CDMA was that CDMA could not handle simultaneous voice and data uh, so you might remember commercials. I think AT&T ran commercials about how uh, specifically with the iPhone, you could have both voice and data at the same time, because at, at one time, AT&T in the United States was the only carrier that had the iPhone. It's no longer the case, mm -hmm. but for, for several years, that was the case. And they said, hey, you can use both on our phone because it happened to be a GSM phone. They didn't, you know, it sounded like they were saying that it was unique to the iPhone. It wasn't. It was that it was the, the network. Yeah, the the technology capacity. they were using yeah. allowed for it. So, that is your 2G. Uh, you think we would immediately go to 3G, but hold up a second. Cuz there's 2.5G. <laughs> This is starting to sound like seasons of the new Battlestar Galactica. It I... feels like that. <laughs> okay. it, it also it also feels like generations of the iPhone, where the number that is associated with the iPhone is not necessarily it, the actual generation of the iPhone. Or or Windows, like this is Windows ten. We went from Windows seven to Windows eight to Windows ten. Schmickery do. So when can I, I get... love Windows schmickery do? When can I get cell phone me? <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's go back to 2.5G. OK. OK. Yeah. Right, so this is where we get even more confusing. All right. Oh, so no. we, we've got these two competing technologies that, you know, in the, in the uh, GMS and CDMA. Uh, now we get to GPRS and CDMA 2001X. These were <laughs> enhanced 2G networks. So here's the deal. We're not just talking about generations here. It would be so much easier if we were talking generations, except for the fact that since we have a branching technology tree, you would have different generations as technologies mature at different rates, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So GSM would be maturing at uh, at one, and uh, I think I said GMS a second ago, but GSM would be maturing at one rate, and CDMA would be maturing at another rate. So that would make that confusing. But to to try and make it a little more streamlined. The various international organizations have come in to say, listen, we're going to say that that uh, generation stands for the capability of your technology, not how many iterations there have been. But there is a bare basic limit of, of how much data they have to be able to accept per second. And if they meet that, that means they fall into this generation versus that generation. Oh, OK, that's nice. Yeah, so 2.5 <laughs> 2.5 is 2.5, 2 
because it's faster than 2, but it doesn't quite meet the standards that were set for 3G. So they had to think, where, where do you put them? Do you, you don't want to call it 2G because as a carrier, you want to use this as a selling point to your customers. Oh, say, right. our networks are faster than 2G, but you can't go and say they're 3G because the data rates aren't there yet. They could have just gone with like awesome 2 or sucky 3. Yeah, two, 2G <laughs> plus or 2G plus or 3G minus a little bit. Uh, so that gets us to 3G where we have a whole bunch of different competing standards, which I'm not even going to go into. I mean, Edge is in there. So if you've ever heard about being on the Edge network, that's technically a 3G network. Um, they have even faster data rates than previous generations at about 384 kilobits per second. So when I say even faster, that's pretty slow. That's pretty slow. <laughs> yeah, but faster than 2G. So the UN International Telecommunications Union set the standard for 3G at 2 megabits per second if the phone is stationary and 384 kilobits per second for a phone that's in motion. Obviously, phones that are in motion have to deal with this handshake. So that's what complicates matters. Uh, if you are stationary, you don't need to do that and you can have a faster uh, download rate. OK, so we're getting closer to the present day. Yeah. When we hit 4G. OK, yeah. All right. Tell me the story of 4G. 4G is another complicated story. Sing <laughs> to me. Sing to me the <laughs> epic of 4G. So... I can tell you what 4G is supposed to be. Okay. 4G is supposed to be one gigabit per second when the phone is stationary or mobile device. It's not just a phone now. Mm -hmm. But 4G, you should be able to get a one gigabit per second download rate when the, when the device is not in motion and 100 megabits per second when it is in motion. However, None of the current standards that are touted as being 4G meet that specification. What? Huh. Yeah. So they're, they're just they're just flipping the UN off all the time? Yeah, they're essentially saying, listen, we're calling this 4G because it is the next generation of our uh, technology. It works in a completely different way from 3G. It uses a different methodology for handling data. It's it's using uh, brand new technology. So we got to call it something. We're not calling it 3G plus or 3.5G. So we're calling it 4G. And you can take your standards and just pretend like they don't exist because wow. that's what we're going to do. That's like if Star Trek The Next Generation had James Doohan in the engineering room. Yeah. <laughs> so we're just... <laughs> We're just having him. He's, he, no reason. We're not explaining it. Um, yeah, and it's it, – it, so So we have this 4G name that's a marketing term. It's not really – they're not 4G according to those UN standards, which, by the way, even the UN now is like, whatever. Okay, fine. Um, <laughs> and, and, the, and the technologies that we're talking about that are called 4G are um, LTE and then – There's WiMAX and there's HSPA+. Plus. Uh, HSPA plus comes in a couple different flavors, uh, 14, 21, and 42, although 21 and 42 are the ones that are considered to be closer to 4G speeds. None of these get close to that one gigabit per second. Uh, LTE tops out at around 100 megabits per second or so. Um, you can get I, the fastest speed I've seen for LTE is 300 megabits per second. That was like an ideal test. Um, there is LTE, LTE advanced which could theoretically get much faster, but that's not rolled out very widely right now. WiMAX is kind of dead in the water, essentially. It's no longer really a thing. Everyone's looking at LTE. Uh, HSPA+, Plus. Some, some carriers use that. T-Mobile uses that, but they also use LTE. They roll out LTE uh, networks as well. 
So that is kind of leading us up to today. That's where we are now is with this mishmash of technologies. By the way, if we all, by we, I mean like the carriers, if all the carriers adopted LTE, if they rolled out robust LTE networks and phased out the older networks, then you could, in theory, have a phone that could work on any network as long as it was an LTE phone because it's it's no longer this branching uh, technology where you've got the GSM versus CDMA. It would all be unified in theory. In practice, not going to happen because you've got companies putting in proprietary software that is required to run in order for you to do something like make a voice call. So you can't just take the phone you have on one network and pop onto another network and not yeah. have any problems. It's it's overall advantageous, I would say, for humanity, um, for everyone to be working within the same infrastructure. Yeah. But it's it's honestly very advantageous from a business perspective to use your own proprietary Yeah, to lock stuff. you in. Yeah. yeah. You can sell more stuff, yeah. Yeah, I love yeah. being locked in. It's so it's so cozy. Right, it, it's like know, a hobbit hole that you can't leave. When I don't have to make choices, my life is so much easier. Uh, Actually, there is some truth to that. We should talk about the science of choice sometime. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. If you have, you know, unlimited choice, then you could be paralyzed by it. We've talked about that a couple times on tech stuff. Yes, yes. Okay, but so, uh, so shade aside. Yes. Um, <laughs> we, uh, let's, let's look forward to this amazing future of 5G. Okay. Right. Well, what inspired us to talk about this today was again, like I said, uh, an article that I read about people predicting 5G, what the next generation of this wireless technology would be. So 5G is not a fixed standard yet. Right. It's more of a kind of an ambiguous concept. What's going on now is people are debating and, and talking about what 5G is going to be. Yeah, they're kind of blue skying it. I mean, you, you can make certain uh, predictions saying like these are the sort of things we would consider necessary for us to call it 5G. For example, yeah. we would expect even faster uh, data rates that would mm-hmm. be that would be an expectation of the advancement of the generations of this technology, but there are other elements as well. So it's one of those things again. Since since we don't have a hard and fast number, ultimately what might happen is the next technology that comes out, people will start calling five G, and it may not come close to measuring up to some of the things that people have proposed. Right, but uh, already there have been some like politicians and industry leaders trying to set really ambitious goals for what should be done. Incredibly ambitious. Yeah. Like sometimes like you, you hear it and you think, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the topic of 5G was addressed in, uh, in March 2015 at the 2015 Mobile World Congress. And Bonnie Cha for Recode put together a good write-up afterwards, including predictions made about speed, which came to – the prediction was that 5G would feature ideal speeds of 10 gigabits per second. Gigabits. And I just yeah. thought WT – some other letter. <laughs> WTG. Are, are, are they, yeah. What the G? What are, the generation? Are, are they for real? Uh, because, so the 4G, uh, Cha points out that the 4G standard, the ideal standard is one gigabit per second, but yeah. it's never actually that fast, is it? I no. Mean, no. And 
What prevents it from operating at that top speed? Well, the, there's just the basic limitation of the systems themselves. Like I said, with LTE, the regular LTE, you top out at around 300 megabits per second, even under ideal circumstances. Uh, but what goes into that speed is a whole bunch of factors. Yeah. Um, it's, it's going to be the distance between you and the tower that your device is communicating with. It's mm-hmm. going to be um, the amount of other data that that tower is handling at mm-hmm. the time. Um, the, the weather, the number of trees that are between you and the tower. Yeah, yeah. It's tons of stuff like that. Now, if you are talking about, you know, lab conditions, then that's where you would probably get this ideal speed. But even in those lab conditions, no one has come close to the gigabits per second. Although uh, LTE, LTE Advanced has the theoretical peak uh, performance of 3 gigabits per second download speed, 1.5 gigabits per second upload speed. But as I said earlier... There are not very many LTE advanced uh, networks rolled out yet, so it's we don't have a lot of real world testing in, uh, that, in that realm. Yeah, I should have added to that list to the the physical capacity, the physical technological capacity of both your device and yes. all of the computers at the other end of the network that it's talking to. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. like saying that you know if you have if you have a hallway that's 10 people wide, but your doorway is only one person wide, mm-hmm. then, and you think of the doorway being your device, then your device would be the bottleneck in yeah. that case. Or, yeah. or, or even, you know, like, I've got this really elegant software and a tricycle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that would not be helpful. Y'all at home should have seen Lauren gesturing. Uh, she was pointing yeah. at the tricycle. I believed, I believed there was a tricycle there. No, that's how, how convincing it was. Maybe 10 gigabits per second, uh, which again was the prediction here. Maybe that's not meaningful to you. So think about it yeah. like this. Okay, it yeah. is 1.25 gigabytes per second. Yeah. So that would okay. mean you could like, if you wanted to download a video game, you could download a copy of Skyrim and like, Five seconds, or, or or what about like a movie? Yeah, well, so like a 1080p HD movie in compressed format would maybe take also like about five seconds or less. Wow. Um, the computer I used in college, uh, you could download its entire hard drive in less than three <laughs> seconds. And if you want another illustration of how fast this is, so 10 gigabits per second, that's 10 times faster than the speeds promised by Google Fiber. And competing carriers. The That's, wired connection. Yeah. Oh, right, right. Actual optical cable going to your house. You know, often, uh, like Lauren and I are both video gamers. Joe, you play some video games too. Some, yeah. yeah. So we all are aware of the idea that if you're playing an online game, it's better to have that wired connection than it is to go with wireless because you can have lag and latency and all these other issues. Oh, uh, sure, sure. Anytime that you add that extra step of having to uh, beam the signal from your your Router, router to, to the device. your actual device. Yeah, You're so it down. it's better to have that physical dedicated line, and that's what I would think too. Until I hear ten gigabits <laughs> per second wireless transmission, <laughs> because it's ten times faster than the yeah. optical fiber. I mean, that would make you wonder, like, okay, so why would we even have optical fiber? What's the point of wires at that point? Yeah, it, there it, isn't one. Right. Oops. If you could actually get to uh, that that point, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, I'm sure later. If you could get to a point where 10 gigabits per second 
even even if that's the ideal and you never reach the ideal. Okay, yeah, yeah. Let's say it's you know the real speed you get is four gigabits. It's per still second. four times faster than fiber is. Yeah. <laughs> right. And even then, when you say one gigabit per second with Google Fiber, that's the ideal for Google Fiber. You, you might you might top out at nine hundred megabits per second. Hmm, that's not acceptable. So you're going to get four gigabits per second over over the air. You mentioned uh, the difference between lab conditions and real conditions. Yeah. In, in ideal conditions, what kind of things can we do now at the top end of speed? So with the 5G technology in the lab right now, uh, the average speed tends to be around one gigabit per second, which, if you remember, is the promised speed of 4G. <laughs> so right. it feels like we're just playing catch up. But uh, there have been sh- uh, some some demos of much faster speeds. Samsung held a demo where they showed that they could hit 7.5 gigabits per second when it was stationary and 1.2 gigabits per second if the device was traveling at a speed of 100 kilometers per hour or 62 miles per hour. Pretty impressive. So at that speed, I mean, you could you could end up being able to stream content without any problems. There's a ton of stuff that you would be able to access. And, you know, we were talking a lot about mobile devices, but honestly, this technology is working its way into a lot of other uh, platforms, including cars. So there are a lot of potential uses. And we'll talk a bit about those in a little in a, in a moment or two. Yeah. So another predicted standard of 5G would be very, very low latency, mm-hmm. like one millisecond latency. And mm-hmm. you, if you ask what is latency, that's just the time of delay in delivering a packet from one device to another. So a packet's a piece of data. Uh, the, the amount of data you can transmit in a certain period of time might change. You might have more bandwidth or throughput. Um, but the latency is just the time lag in delivering one packet. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing would be connectedness. Mm-hmm. H- how much can a network support? Like how many things can you wirelessly send data between at the same time? Yeah, and this was this was a real concern, especially earlier in cellular networks where you would have towers that would get overwhelmed and yeah, by like three signals at the same yeah, time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In the and, old days, yeah. In fact, yeah, the old old days there were you would look and you say like, all right, this one city has a broadcast tower and it can handle like two simultaneous connections mm-hmm. and that's it. Uh, you know, obviously that technology has improved over time. Uh, yeah, yeah. And that is l- largely a software issue. I mean, also a, a memory issue. But what you're really talking about is uh, the, the capacity of a computer to multitask. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, that that's what it boils down to. And that has improved significantly over time. And it would have to because we're also talking about the burgeoning era of the Internet of Things when we're adding Lots more devices to various networks. Yeah. yeah. So there it's not just your cell phone or not just your computer, or your tablet. It's also all the devices in your house and your car and probably a bunch of sensors outside mm-hmm. taking data on various stuff. Yeah. Now, you could have these things connecting into their own network, which then connects to an access point, right? Right. So you could have essentially a traffic manager in the form of a router Mm -hmm. that would take care of some of that. But it's also potential if you have the capacity to handle billions of different devices at a time on a single tower, you could have them connecting directly to the network and not have to have a router. 
I don't know that you would necessarily want to do that because you might want the router in order to do some traffic management on your end or to control access to things. Obviously, direct access to devices could pose a security risk as well. There are probably lots of considerations to take there. Yeah. Um, uh, another consideration for the system as a whole is going to be uh, the, the the management of all of those, those, those various those, elements. Those, yeah. 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 Or, or really, really the man- management of the data flow, I suppose. Yeah. So this was really interesting to me. We've talked a lot about the other, other elements of 5G. One of the proposed ones, and keep in mind, again, this is an ongoing discussion. So some of these things we're talking about may become a reality and whatever does become 5G. And some mm-hmm. of them maybe don't become a reality. But one of the things that was mentioned at uh, a conference, uh, Ericsson CEO Hans Vestberg, said that the 5G network should be able to respond in real time to the various demands of devices that were on the network and be able to uh, to to facilitate those devices so it delivers the best experience for whatever that device might be and whatever the use case might be. So, for example, if you have a mobile device and you're streaming a movie in HD, you would need to have that fast download rate to accommodate that huge amount of data that's streaming to your device. So the network would accommodate you and say, all right, we're going to give this data rate to that device because that's how much it needs in order to do the thing that they've asked. Let's say, though, that you have a driverless car that connects back to the network. Then you want extremely low latency because safety depends upon it. You can't have a lag between uh, the detection of something like a potential obstacle and its response. Uh, or, yeah, I mean, that's tragic when it happens in Halo, but yeah. uh, but it's real tragic when, when it happens, happens on a road. Exactly. So, so the, this would be a, a case where you would need to have the least amount of latency possible. It also opens up the possibility of something we've talked about before. Remember when we started talking about the early ideas of the autonomous car involved a system that cars would navigate through and it would the cars would just be one part of the system and how we have seen cars evolve so that they're more independent right yeah. they don't tend to work within a network they're independent and they have all the systems self enclosed on the car this is kind of shifting back to the possibility of having a big uh interdependent system mm-hmm. which could have benefits over a bunch of independent vehicles um but we talked about that extensively in our autonomous car episode so I won't go back over it or you could have uh, even the ability for the network to sense when a gadget's battery is running low. So let's say that you've been using your phone all day and you're not home yet. You want your phone to last a little longer and your phone is aware that the battery is down to like 15%. So now the network is aware that your phone's battery is down to 15% and it starts to ping your phone less frequently to make sure that your phone is still connected. And because it's pinging it less frequently, sending it updates less frequently, your phone is just sipping at that battery power instead of gulping it down, and it extends the battery life of your device, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, other considerations uh, would have to include uh, cooperation with previous networks. Yeah. Uh, because part of what 5G would have to do to, to, to be successful is leave room for older devices that are only capable of connecting through uh, 3 or 4G. Yeah, that, that's that's a big issue, right, is you have to continue to support legacy devices. Mm-hmm. That backwards compatibility issue, right? Yeah, because not everyone is able to 
first of all, you never know when a system is going to fail and you need the backup systems there. Sure. Uh, secondly, you never know when a system is going to get overwhelmed. Like when I go to CES, I will often switch my phone so that it uses a 3G network and doesn't even look for 4G because it helps save me time and effort and frustration. Battery and yeah. battery. Exactly. Uh, and also not everyone can upgrade at the same time. Right. Like if we all were magically given 5G phones as soon as it came out, it'd be awesome. And we say, oh, we don't need these other things. But that's not the way the world works. I probably won't get a 5G phone until 6G comes out. <laughs> you know, another thing about this next generation, generation in quotes, uh, would, is that people are talking about using different radio bandwidths, mm-hmm. the, these high frequency bandwidths mm-hmm. that uh, could transmit a lot more data. Right. Sure. But they would also have drawbacks too, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. This, the, the more data can only be transferred across shorter distances due to the physical properties of these particular high frequency, uh, radio waves. Right. Which so, means you would need a lot more towers and base stations yeah. and, and all of that. And, uh, and better antenna technology would, would have to be another development. Here. Yeah. Cause I mean, that, that becomes sort of a, a social barrier, not a technological barrier mm-hmm. in a way, because then you've got people saying, I really don't want a cell phone tower erected in my neighborhood. Right. I don't I don't want that here. Um, or, uh, or 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 even, you know, the the possibility of of like cellular deserts, the way that we have some nutritional deserts in, in mm. large areas. Yeah. So you could have really underserved areas. So you might have some parts that are just swimming in gigabits. And other bits where other areas where, you know, you just that service just immediately drops out. And until you get to another densely populated area, you don't get that service. You Mm -hmm. cross the county line and you you can't stream Blu-rays constantly. Well, what's what's the timeline we're looking at here? You know, we're talking a lot about the future. How far into the future are we talking about? Well, uh, two, two companies have talked about setting up temporary 5G networks as soon as 2018. Um, Samsung for the 2018 Winter Olympics in South Korea and, uh, Huey, is that, is that how you say that? Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say yes because I yeah. am either that or Huawei. That sounds too much like it came from Anchorman. Yes. I'm that one uh, for for the World Cup in Moscow the same year. Uh, both of those goals, I think, are ridiculously ambitious. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe. I mean, it's it's really hard to say for sure how how this technology is going to develop over the next few years. Uh, twenty twenty is the date that I've seen floated for commercial availability, and I know that Japan is hoping to have a permanent network available for the twenty twenty Summer Olympics. Uh, but you know. I mean, amazing things can happen. Maybe that could happen. But even if it does, I would I would guess that it's going to be a much longer period of time before 5G completely overtakes the prior networks. Right. And and even in 2018, even if they build out the network, you're still you still have to have the technology to actually take advantage of that. So I imagine that that technology will largely be limited to things like broadcast stations that happen to have uh, the capability of having commercial level technology that mm. can tap in. Cause I mean, if it's a temporary thing that's up for the Olympics, how do they sell that to consumers? Hey, yeah. this phone's going to be really fast for like two weeks. <laughs> 
and then it's gonna be not so fast because we're shutting down the network. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure that it's some kind of like promotional thing. Uh, Samsung, like especially a, a creator like Samsung, who mm. also has a hardware side of the business, yeah, um, would you know use yeah. that as a promotional opportunity to give journalists <laughs> their fancy cell phones or give everybody five uh, G burner phones. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> I I watched so much Netflix. In such a short amount of time. <laughs> so let's talk about how this stuff could really change our lives. We mentioned it a little bit with the idea of this being faster than than potentially faster than than fiber connections. Yeah, uh, it potentially could be way faster than fiber connections, assuming that a statistic we read was not, in fact, a typo, which is still hard <laughs> for me to believe. Uh, yeah. So the head of uh, tech development project. Uh, called the Innovation Center, which is uh, uh, out of the University of Surrey, a person by the name of Rahim Tafazoli. Yeah. Oh, I didn't look up any of these things. I us- I'm usually so good at looking things up before I come into the studio. I apologize if I just butchered your name, human person. Um, <laughs> told told the BBC that he thinks that uh, 5G could lend itself to 800 gigabits per second. What? I, you need to put that in a phrase that I'm going to be able to comprehend. That's like downloading 33 HD movies per second. 33 HD movies per second. Per second. Or like three Peter Jackson movies. <laughs> in a well, yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, a lot of people like the first my first reaction to this is always like, what would I ever need with that speed? But I've said that throughout my entire life and yet oh, sure. I, I managed to take advantage of it. And well, I, I mean, said that the first time I looked at a three and a quarter inch floppy disk. Yeah. Well, we, yeah, it and, is one of those principles in computing is that where capability emerges, people will find ways to use it. Well, and with the emerging uh, technologies of 4K and 8K resolution coming out. You could easily see this being a way of getting access to that kind of content so that you get this ultra high definition experience delivered over something that doesn't have a bottleneck to it. Uh, now obviously 4K and 8K are also going to rely very heavily on sophisticated compression algorithms because otherwise the rest of us would never be able to see it. But if you are if you have the ability to throughput 800 gigabits per second compression is not necessarily your your number one concern yeah maybe over overtaking your data plan in like 37 minutes would be your major concern <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah data plans what would they even look like that's crazy <laughs> i mean a lot of the potential for this that one of the easiest and most obvious things to point out is the potential for streaming media like we've been saying you know mm-hmm. streaming high definition movies and stuff. One of the things I thought is how it could change what could be done with like cloud computing and cloud gaming, for example. Um, so wouldn't this make cloud gaming basically unstoppable? Because why would you shell out for like a workhorse console, like a PS4 or an Xbox one or something mm. that has strong hardware and computing power? When really all you need is an internet-connected display and a controller of some kind. Well, yeah, especially if that if you can have a really working serv- uh, service, and we've seen services that try and take this model uh, succeeding to various degrees or not succeeding to various degrees. But if you had this this ability to transmit that much data that quickly, it would remove a lot of the barriers people have seen, especially things like latency and lag. Uh, it would potentially remove those concerns so that you could have a really satisfying gaming experience without having to have that console in your home. 
and it sends this uh, it make, creates this ability for you to have a service run where the service provider can make the investment to improve hardware as hardware advances come along and then you know because of the the massive amount of revenue generated on a subscription service or mm-hmm. even a, a pay to play per game service uh you know it's not a concern whereas if i'm a pc gamer one of the big barriers to entry is just the investment to get a good like a really good gaming rig yeah um and then to keep it in really good shape because knowing that in 6 months to a year a lot of my equipment is is going to go from good to passable and then in another 6 months to a year it's going to go from passable to not acceptable which means i constantly need to be upgrading my system this way the all the upgrades happen on the back end not on your console. Now, it might also mean that your subscription fee goes up. But <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, wouldn't you wouldn't you always need a a system capable of parsing that 800 gigabits per second you would definitely and, need to and have turning something, it into yeah, meaningful well, meaningful yeah. visual information, yeah. but Yeah, d- depending on how you, yeah, it would depend on how your your cloud gaming ones. I mean, it runs if you're just doing the sort of like streaming media model i mean there what's happening is that the game is running entirely on the server right and it's just it's the data it's taking from you is what buttons you're pushing right and the data it's giving to you is visual and auditory it's essentially as if you're watching a movie yeah it just has to be so the point you're making is is a valid one lauren the the device would have to be capable of accepting Whatever that minimum amount of information is for that game system to work properly, mm-hmm. uh, and if you if you had a bottleneck there, then obviously you would have to upgrade whatever, like your smart TV or whatever it might be. Maybe it's like a little dumb set top box that connects to your TV that that just accepts the information yeah, yeah. and sends the signals to the TV. But even that would have to have the capacity to accept. This massive amount of information. Yeah, th- like we like we were saying before, there are two sides of this, right? There's the system, the back end side, and then there's the consumer side, the device. And having something capable of delivering huge amounts of data and having something capable of accepting huge amount of data are two different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you got to have both of them. Otherwise, it's a really one-sided conversation. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're uh, like, my phone could <laughs> download this movie in like 0.5 seconds if it... If anyone was send, if anyone was sending me that beautiful <laughs> movie, no one wants to. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Another big implication of five G, of course, is going to be for the Internet of Things, as oh. I said earlier. Yeah, connecting yeah. more devices. Right, right, and and yeah, you, you were talking about that earlier because you know, right now a lot of people have more than one wireless device, but mm-hmm. uh, by twenty twenty, if you know your fridge and your air conditioning and your coffee pot and your car and your stoplights and your storm drains and and whatever else are all connected to the web, uh, people are predicting that there could be 50 to 100 billion connected devices worldwide. Um, Yeah. So you got to have some means of being able to to facilitate that huge number of connections. Yeah. Yeah. Like like we are going to need this more powerful generation of wireless connectivity if, if that future is going to be possible. Right. Um, uh, otherwise, you know, you might be cursing the fact that your neighbor's got a smart kitchen outfitted in their home because now you can't get a decent phone signal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and also also like we were talking about, um, the, those self-driving cars would be 
of particular benefit to the system because, uh, you know, having faster and less clogged communication across the network would allow for, for smoother route mapping and, and better traffic control and that emergency response that we were talking about earlier where, where, you know, if an accident does happen, then every car on the road could be told to brake, preventing a pileup. Yeah. 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 The, these are all, uh, incredible, applications of this technology or potential applications. So uh, one, excited. One, one more um, is is remote activities. Um, so, you know, imagine the, the best surgeon for your personal needs being able to uh, not only teleconsult with you from anywhere in the world, but also being able to operate a, a robotic surgical tool from anywhere. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the big problems with telesurgery has been the latency problem. Yeah, yeah. There have been some examples of telesurgery that have been kind of a a scary proof of concept, you know, like people proving that this is a, a possible thing, but they were using very dedicated lines for a, for a predetermined specific purpose. This would potentially open up the opportunity of using it on a more regular basis instead of it being this like we're, we're proving that this is possible. This would make it practical or at least a, a potential practical solution to what could otherwise be a life threatening problem. So, yeah, I mean, these are all great examples of how 5G could end up being a huge benefit to us, assuming that it all works out. I mean. We're still talking about something that's still in the the kind of brainstorming phase. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I guess one of the main questions is just how realistic is this? I mean, we're looking at these extremely crazy, optimistic predictions. And uh, and personally, I don't really know what to make of it. I mean, I guess I don't know enough about uh, cellular and wireless technology to know what's actually plausible and what's just sort of, you know, people setting ambitious goals. Well, and... If you were able to actually roll this out, I mean, there's there's going to be a, a a lot of investment that's going to be necessary to make this a reality where the carriers will have to invest in upgrading their infrastructure. So in other words, either building new towers or adding antenna to existing towers, whatever, however that might turn out. Um, and so it's not like everyone's going to get it at the same time. It'll be like all the other networks rolled out where some – some uh, uh, some networks got access to 3G and 4G speeds well before other ones did. So we're going to probably see that again. So that's going to take some time. But once that does happen and once 5G becomes more widely adopted, uh, the question I have is what happens to all the wired infrastructure? Like do we keep it? I mean it, it would make sense to keep it as a backup anyway in case mm-hmm. in case something happens to the wireless network. But at the same time, if you're talking about having wireless transmission rates that dwarf, you know, wired rates to the point where it's it's a factor of 10 or more, then you start to question why do we even have these like wires up? Should we take them down? Will it become <laughs> like the wired telephone in your house where you're like, oh, don't answer any email from the wired Internet connection. We just know that's a you know, spam. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's a interesting question. I, I expect that we will have for a long time, we'll have all of these various infrastructures running concurrently because 
again, not everyone's going to magically get upgraded and be able to take advantage of this kind of stuff. So it's going to be one of those things that uh, if it's a transition, it will be a gradual transition. Maybe we're talking 10 or 20 years down the road before enough people have gotten off the legacy systems for those to be shut down. I mean, sometimes you just have to pull the, the plug and you just say, listen, at X date, this change is going to happen. Uh, here are some programs to help you get caught up if you are left behind. But we still have to do this because uh, it's it only makes sense for us to to concentrate on these existing infrastructures and not continue to support something that is technically obsolete. Oh, sure. OK, will I still be able to use all those promotional CDs I got for AOL and Prodigy back in the Ooh, day? If you had said CompuServe, I would have had good news for you, Joe. <laughs> but sadly... I'm going uh, to leave that question unanswered. Yes. Oh, w- one more thing before we leave real quick, though. Uh, uh, and I do want to mention that uh, all, all of this also ties into the infrastructural use of, of airwaves, of radio waves. Yeah. And what the future holds for, for various forms of communication will have an impact on all of these systems that we're trying to create. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we have to we have to make space available for this stuff. And the question is, do we take it away from something else? Do we just go with the the small gaps that still exist between certain bandwidths? Uh, you know, there's certain bandwidths that, that stopped being used and the FCC started auctioning them off here in the United States. Is that potentially a use for this kind of technology? Uh, there are a lot of questions that we don't have the answers to, like practical questions. And uh, and some of them are going to have some tough answers because eventually we're going to get to a point where we said, all right, we've used all the frequencies that can we can expect to usefully deliver data. Right. Beyond this, we can't really either the data transmission is going to be so low or the distance is going to be so short that it's not a practical use anymore. At that point, we have to start saying, all right, what do we get rid of so that we can have this new shiny thing? That's going to be tough. Uh, so uh, maybe that's an excuse not to connect our toasters to the Internet. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, you know, we can't let fear dictate our our pathway to the future. And gosh darn it, I want Internet connected toast. All right. So, guys, if you have any suggestions for future topics that we can talk about here on Forward Thinking, maybe there's something you've always wondered about, like how is that going to work in the future? Uh, or you just have questions or comments about stuff we've said, get in touch with us. Send us an email. The address is fwthinking at howstuffworks.com. Or you can drop us a line on Twitter, Google+, or Facebook. At Twitter and Google+, we are fwthinking. And on Facebook, just search fwthinking. We'll pop right up, leave us a message, and we'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 
You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility.